The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Eye Den, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 110 of the Squawk Eye Den podcast, recorded on the 1st of June, 2022, from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, we'll be joined by Alex D. to discuss what modern initial ground school for a regional 121 carrier is like, what to expect, and we will also talk about best practices on how to successfully navigate the fast-paced learning environment. We also take a look at what the black boxes have revealed thus far on the China Eastern crash that happened earlier this year in March. We also have some video feedback to share from Captain Roger, who is having a whirlwind adventure right now. All this and more on this episode of Squawk Ident. So stay with us as we run our final checks and prepare to push back from the gate. Flight 110 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Joining us today is an exceptional aviator and CFI. He is a U.S. Navy Chief Information Systems Technician and a first officer at Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of our legacy airlines' wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us from the second floor of the Doubletree Hotel in Irving, Texas, where he's taking a break from his Embraer 175 systems studies. He's here to give us some intel on what he's learned thus far. Help us in welcoming back to the show, Mr. Alex Daigle. Alex, how are you doing? Doing good, Tony. Good to be back on. Been a minute since I've get to see you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you were last on the show back in April. We were talking about that a little bit uh, before the show. Here was it one oh six? I think it was episode one oh six, one oh seven, something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and well, at that time you were going through, like, uh, getting ready to go through indoctrination. Is that? Do I remember that correctly? Yeah, um, I was in the basically the waiting phase from uh, orientation to NDOC, basically waiting for my class date uh, to come out uh, to Texas for my uh, starting of my ground school. Yeah, and so far, what has transpired in your initial training? Uh, so I got to Sandpiper HQ um, on, we started on the 16th of May uh, and went through the first week of, basic in doc basic into ground school and all that and that's um that's the the company you know here's the ipad here's uh we'll get you fitted for your uniform this is the fom this is how to look stuff up in the fom all, all the kind of important stuff of like the company itself uh one of the days the union came in uh and talked to us we all signed up for the union and then another day management came in and had lunch with us so we got to hear from basically both sides of the coin of how one side, you know, and the other side don't agree on everything all the time. So <laughs> that's the first uh, first indoctrination into that. I uh, got to hear uh, what pilots really truly love, and that's free things and rumors. Oh, okay. 
And so, and, and what proof was uh, there of uh, the free things in the rumors? Uh, free food. And then, uh, of course, management and the union both spread, uh, you know, rumors around of like, oh, no, you're going to flow on, you know, you have this many years to flow. Or no, 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 it's actually going to be like this because this is what's really going on. And, you know, so it starts the rumor. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you're going to have an entire career filled with those. Um, and we've always said here on the show uh, that rumors are kind of like uh, assholes. Everyone's got one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And they, most of them stink. Yes. <laughs> yes. I started a few myself. I got to I'm proud of those. <laughs> you know, I think about 15 years ago, I was like, did you hear JetBlue is going to buy us? You know, a regional carrier. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, oh, I wanted hilarious. it to come true, you know, so I was like, it's spreading the rumor. Uh, I a joke, I oh. kid. Uh, that's not necessarily true. But yeah, I'm, I'm so happy that you are in the process here of getting all your initial training completed. I know it's, we're going to talk about that here in the show, how this fire hose mentality of information <laughs> and, you know, to see how, how it sticks and how you can take this theoretical knowledge and then you know, practice it uh, both in the simulator and out on the flight line once you get certified. Um, but yeah, more about that later on in the show. Now, originally we were going to have uh, Kyle and Rob and Roger uh, all join us today. Um, and of course, you know how things are. Schedules have been absolutely crazy. There's been a lot of uh, reassignments. Uh, our union here at Legacy Airlines, the uh, the L. PA, Legacy Pilots Association, as we like to call it, another alias. Um, they, they're losing their minds. They're trying to get the information out. They're telling us pilots don't lean forward. And the first time I heard that was recently. And a friend of the show, actually, uh, Bill Evans, who, who has been on the show, he was on a 9-11 uh, special that we did last September. And uh, you know, he was leading some of these... Um, uh, union meetings that we had, we all actually got together. Uh, the union had sponsored a Top Gun, a Maverick film showing at every base. And so uh, the invitations went out. And if you RSVP'd, you and your family could go and see the movie Top Gun the day before it premiered. Uh, so my family took full advantage and we went and saw a Top Gun movie. I saw pilots that uh, I hadn't seen since my days at Sandpiper when I was actually based in Los Angeles before they closed that base back in 2000 and I believe it was 12 or 13. Um, and so I, I'm like, hey, Tony, you remember me? I'm like, oh, crap. Hi, how are you? Um, and they're all here you know, at Legacy Airlines now. And uh, I also saw some friends of the show, that some captains I've flown with, um, some future uh, guests <laughs> I saw there too that we're trying to coordinate schedules with that. Um, but yeah, they, they gave a presentation before the film and their main thing, the, the representatives up there, the negotiating committee chair, all these people were up there saying, listen, at the end of the day, we as pilots uh, all have one goal in mind, and that is to get home. So we do everything we can to ensure that the flight goes out safely, on time, uh, any issues or any problems that uh, surface during any stage really in the game, uh, we're always proactive. We're always leaning forward to help the company out, to take care of things. Because at the end of the day, we, we just want to get there. We want to get to our layover. 
We don't want to cut into our rest time. We don't want to cut into our go-home time. Maybe we have a commute we have to take care of. We've all you know joked around about it's the go-home leg. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, right? Um, but really, it's all about leaning forward to get the job done because it's in our nature as aviators, as you know, technically-minded people. And we have to stop doing that because what happens over time, which has happened here at Legacy, and I'm sure all the other airlines that are out there, especially the mainline carriers, uh, are, are feeling this right now. They're relying on us as the responsible leaders that we are to lean forward and take care of business. Is it our job to call catering three times because they neglected to do something? No, it's not, but we do. Is it our job to call for rampers, even though we called operations and told them, hey, we're on the ground, confirm, you know, gate, whatever, G20 is open. Oh, yeah, G20 is open. Come on in. And you contact ramp control. Or, yeah, go in. Go ahead and park. And then there's no ramper. And you're like, really? So what do you do? You switch radios and you call operations. Go, hey, we're still waiting for rampers out here. Oh, I'll call them again. And then two minutes later, the ramp's calling you going, oh, are you going to park or what's going on? And so we constantly have this mentality to lean forward. And now is not the time to do so simply because they are now dependent on us doing that, picking up open trips, picking up premium flying, uh, going well over our contracted hourly, monthly schedule uh, to pick up flying because it's maybe in premium uh, over at Sandpiper. They have this super premium, whatever they call it there. The, what is it? 400% pay? I mean... 300. 300? Okay. So three. <laughs> this is crazy. And of course, in the union stances, you know, if you would just manage the airline appropriately, staff it appropriately, schedule it appropriately, get the people in here that need to be in here to do the job in every department and every aspect of the career that we have and, and every aspect of the business that they're operating, then we wouldn't need to do all this extra stuff and lean forward and have our schedules change consistently. We, we jokingly call it line holder reserve. Anytime you touch Dallas or Charlotte, you know, you're going to get reassigned. Um, but as a line holder, that's, that's not right. That's, you know, you know, so that was huge. Uh, we got, we got the speech and, you know, the families got to hear this. Um, and a lot of aviators don't really share a lot about work with their family. Cause when they go home, that's the last thing they want to talk about is work. Um, you know, that we leave that for Lego movies and the, the, uh, the way that they came across and they said, okay, we're going to watch the film now. Uh, the lights dimmed and the previews came on. And then after the last preview, the lights kind of came up a little bit and all of a sudden there was a video on the screen and LPA produced a video about the whole fact that we're under contract negotiations and, you know, we all have to do our part, but we need to hold the company accountable and uh, it was a pretty nice, well-produced video and everybody in there, yay, you know, <laughs> cheering and, and the lights dimmed again. And, and that's when the movie started. Now, no spoilers on this episode. <laughs> We're not going to talk about Top Gun today. Uh, but I, I got to tell you, it's a film that it was frustrating to have that film be delayed as much as it did almost two years, uh, you know, with COVID and with everything else. They wanted to release it in IMAX because that was the whole point to film this 
you know, IMAX cameras in the cockpit to actually get the G-forces on the faces of the pilots, not CGI'd. There's, there's very little, if any, CGI effects that uh, we can tell anyway. Um, and, and they just did a phenomenal job. It was well worth the wait. Uh, Alex, I know you called me and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to uh, Top Gun later today. And I said, yeah, I saw it yesterday. And, and he goes, but don't tell me. You said, don't tell me anything about it. I said, don't worry, I won't. And two hours later, you you got a text from you. You should have told me I was supposed to bring tissues. What the hell? And yeah, um, it's one of those. <laughs> it's one of those films, ladies and gentlemen. Bring your tissue, and definitely worth seeing it in IMAX. Pay the extra money, if not Dolby Digital, whatever. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, it it, it was a really good movie. I, I, obviously, I know that we can't give any spoilers, but it. If I had to give it, it'd be a five-star rating, two thumbs up, 10 out of 10, whatever, you know, that you can give it. It was, it was well worth the wait. It definitely, definitely was. And Tony, Tony's right. When, when you watch it, you can see the G's being pulled in their faces. You can see the, the non-CGI that they use because it, it was meant to be that way because there's stuff that you just can't fake. Yeah. Yeah, and it's in the storyline. They they did a lot of respect, uh, playing a lot of homage to the original film, the original screenplay. Um, and and I will say this: um, no, not all the original players are in the new Top Gun. Uh, anyone who's anyone, I mean, unless you've been living in a cave with no internet connection or something, you know, like uh, the gist of the film and. Um, there's a lot of uh, YouTube videos out there explaining the, the theory that the film was a, a copy of a Star Wars storyline where they have to shoot photon torpedoes down the shaft <laughs> of the uh, Death Star to blow it up. And, you know, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, guys. Come on, man. Uh, but I can see the similarities now. And uh, I, they don't say you what. Know, it's funny that you say that because when I was in the movie and they were talking about that when they said the the dimensions of the shaft that they have to do that, I'm like, oh, so they're, I even said it. I was like, oh, so they're shooting at the Death Star. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you, you totally put that aside. You know, your, uh, your, your criticism is definitely uh, something squelched because the film is, is just fantastically done um, and, and well worth it. And we'll leave it at that. Um, and the one scene, the aha scene for me, uh, was at the very start uh, where he walks into that bar in San Diego and he looks over and there's this beautiful actress who's playing his like, newer, I guess, love interest, you know, um, and he says, oh my God, Penny, how are you? And I was like, Penny Benjamin? <laughs> daughter and yeah. yep yep <laughs> so yep. that's a little bit of a spoiler there i'm sorry folks <laughs> what about you alex what was your uh, aha moment in the film well it, it's not really it was a it's not really a spoiler but uh obviously seeing the fact that goose's son was in it you know that seeing and and watching his progression throughout the whole movie there we talked pre-show that the the one moment that like i absolutely lost it and was bawling like a little baby um i'm not going to say the line because you know 
it was a well well earned line by his son um and uh yeah that that to me was the aha moment yeah and you didn't have to see the first one in order to go and see the second one um i know that my daughter like we were on the drive over and like yeah and do you remember the storyline and she's like well i never saw the first one i'm like no i've seen the first one a hundred million times mom has seen it probably i've forced her to see it probably at least a dozen times I can't believe you and I have never sat down to see it. And we start talking a little bit about the storyline. And she was like, nope, nope, I've, I've never seen that film. And we thought, oh, crap, I wish, you know, I would have sat down with my 16-year-old and, and watched the film a couple of days before so that she can get all the references. But even without that, she said it was a fantastic film. It was a great story. She could follow along uh, with it. You didn't have to see it, but... You know, for those of us that lived the first one, <laughs> lived through it uh, when it was new, um, yeah, definitely worth the wait, man. Good film. Not, not going to tell you where I was when uh, it was brand new. Uh, were, were you still like uh, in diapers or? <laughs> no, it was pre-diapers. It was pre-diapers. I, you were in the womb. <laughs> I was. I was. A, no, I was a glimmer in my father's eye when that movie was released. <laughs> oh crap. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, uh, like, like I said, uh, we, we missed having uh, the, all our other co-hosts on today. Um, Rob uh, potentially was going to join us, but he got a little bit busy with his family, um, you know, errands or whatever he had to run. So I totally understand. Roger, however, uh, a couple days ago, sent me some feedback to play here on the show. He is currently on a whirlwind tour. Uh, the owners of the aircraft uh, wanted to go to the Grand Prix, so they left uh, Cabo San. They left uh, San Diego for Cabo San Lucas. Uh, spent a couple of days there, then went to Nice, France, where he sat in a hotel for a couple of days while they were enjoying the races there. Um, he and his uh, co-pilot decided to take a little detour. They ended up in Geneva, Switzerland for a day or two uh, just to go check it out and then came back. Then they flew to Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, he sent us a video from Istanbul. Uh, actually, no, he sent us a video from Nice, but he sent me another uh, picture from Istanbul. And a skyline photo was pretty cool. Uh, and now I think he's in Sicily today. He's in Sicilia, in Italia. He's there having a espresso, you know. And uh, when he gets back, he's going to tell us all about it. So I'm not going to give you too much detail. But here is some audio and video feedback from our friend and co-host, Captain Roger. Well, good morning, Squawk Eye Dent, both to crew and listeners alike. This is Captain Roger checking in. I know I haven't been around very much lately, but... Um, as you, as you may know, I've uh, just recently got back from the Gulfstream, Gulfstream 650 type rating. And then uh, I wanted to, to do a quick video just reporting that I am indeed still working hard. Um, this time um, from the French, French Riviera um, in Antibes, France, Antibes, France right now. Um, like I said, it's um, been pretty rough. I'm working pretty hard right now. It's it's about 6 a.m. right now. You know, unfortunately, I have been up since 1:30 this morning. It's um, for whatever reason there was some some noises outside my hotel room, some 
very excited Americans that woke me up and then I never went back to sleep. So I'm a little bit tired, but uh, kind of enjoying the early morning silence out here. I thought I'd take the opportunity to just do a, a quick report. This is day, I think this is about day 10 of this current trip right now. We actually started out in San Diego, flew down to Cabo for a couple days, then went to Boston to recover for about 30 hours before then we actually had a 1 a.m. departure in order to fly the transatlantic crossing it just so happens that the the people that we flew over here are here for the Monaco F1 Grand Prix and part of that meant that uh, that it's rather busy down here and with that with all the the spots and slots for airspace in Europe we kind of had to make and land at a specific time, which happened to be two in the afternoon. Uh, we flew into Con, but in order to make our 2 p.m. arrival, it, it meant a 1 a.m. departure out of the Boston area. And so that was kind of a little bit of a, uh, that was quite the ordeal um, coming from the, the, west, the west coast and then to the east coast for those 30 hours. And then, like I said, leaving at 1 a.m. Fortunately, that flight went without a hitch and we actually made it right on time and, and landed, I think, two minutes after, which is pretty good for a seven-hour flight to, to only miss your slot, slot time by two minutes. We're here for one more day and then we're going to be moving on to Istanbul, where we'll be there for two and a half days and then wrapping up our, our trip in actually Sicily um, for about six days. We'll see if I got some time for those, uh, either of those destinations, maybe send another quick shout out, let uh, Captain Tony know. And until then, I hope to see everyone the next time, maybe from Istanbul, maybe from Sicily, or maybe when I eventually make it back home. Hope everyone is doing well, fly safe, take care. Oh, Roger. Yep, he's having a great time. Yeah. Working hard. But <laughs> 11 days into his trip, I mean, gone for two weeks. From yeah. Antibes, he sent that in. Uh, thank you so much, Roger, for taking the time out of your – I saw how busy you were on the beach from oh, your hotel room. So busy. Oh, that was awful. Terrible. It must be rough. Yeah. And getting paid to do it, too, with the company oh. credit card and going out and having a good time. Come on. Man. Yeah. You know, I, I, I used to, I, I said this, uh, in our, in our, uh, group chat that we have that like, I used to love how Roger would give the 121 guys, you know, crap about, Oh, you guys don't understand how hard it is and blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm one of those 121 guys now. And, uh, I do appreciate having dispatch <laughs> done and, you know, showing up to the plane with 40 minutes to go to the flight and being like, Oh, okay, cool. Hey, here's our paperwork. Oh, okay, cool. I'll see see you there yeah i mean why would you want to go through all that agony and extra work right yeah right having to hit your slot time like within your window and only missing it by two minutes like no i'm good i'm just gonna hope that dispatch took care of that and just input my numbers and go exactly exactly well well roger you know hey <laughs> uh we're we actually look uh forward to uh, hearing all about this adventure. I mean, this is not stuff that us 121 guys 
uh, are privy to, unless you're a wide body long haul pilot, you know, and uh, I hope to get uh, a wide body pilot on the show soon so they can explain to us how, you know, it is just like what Roger's going through. Granted, not 11 day trips. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those one nine, those part 91 guys don't have any regulations or, you know, union representation to say, hey, that's too, too long, too many days in a row. So yeah, corporate yeah. guys, two weeks on, two weeks off, that's normal. Which is part of the reason why, like, I'm kind of glad that the uh, company that I interviewed with back when you and I first started talking uh, didn't actually end up happening because uh, that eight on six off just doesn't doesn't seem fun. No, no, and I and I've been offered uh, to go apply for and try to fly for some charter operators over the years, and every time I I go out and interview or make a phone call and ask about you know what's the schedule like, what you know what are working rules like, and um, that whole Two weeks on, two weeks off. It kind of was not something that I thought was going to be good for me, for my lifestyle, uh, my quality of life. I, I like to be home often. Um, it's bad enough I'm gone sometimes for four or five days on these longer trips, but uh, definitely um, I enjoy the schedules of a 121 commercial passenger flying. Um, you know, the long haul box stuff, the boxes don't complain. Yeah, I get all the perks, but you know, it, it's kind of, it, it, it fits my, my wheelhouse just fine doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I too had a little bit of, uh, an adventure recently. Uh, I actually had, I'm senior enough now to where I can get two weeks of vacation back to back with the company, right? What? Yeah, it, it was actually uh, amazing. And the whole family were like, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I was like, well, um, uh, you know, we, we rarely go anywhere. Um, let's take a little adventure uh, by air. Let's non-rev around the country. I mean, school was still in here. The elementary and high schools were still in session for another two weeks. And I thought, perfect. This is perfect timing. Um, my daughter had finished her homeschooling, so she was all ready to go and and we're like, well, we, we, we don't want to do anything international, not quite yet. So we were going to go spend like three days in Chicago and then hop on a flight and spend maybe a day in Boston and then hop on a flight and maybe go down to Miami for a day or two, you know, hit the beach down there and then maybe migrate back. We even talked about San Antonio or Austin um, on the way back, just make these stops and just kind of book a flight and then go to the airport and you know, everything was going to fit in our backpacks and we were just going to go for a week and a half and just have an adventure. And two days, two days prior to this all happening, I started looking at the flight loads <laughs> for, for, for a day and a half. I went through our, all our non-rev travel planning software and I tried every flight configuration known to man. The only thing I could have positively got us on because there was more than two open seats on a 200 passenger <laughs> or 150 to 200 passenger airplane. The only thing that had more than five open seats was one, one flight that I found on the first day of the vacation from LA to Phoenix. It had like 35 open seats and I thought, Hey, it's green. It's good. You know, we can get to Phoenix and from there we can kind of figure it out. That was the only flight that wasn't red, meaning less than five seats available with, you know, 10, 15, 20 people on a on a revenue standby, not to mention all the other non-revs. You know, when you're non-revving as a pilot by yourself, commuting back and forth to work, you list yourself for the jump seat, 
or you list yourself and you look at the list of standbys and you go, well, I'm the only pilot and you get on the jump seat, no problem, right? And we're going to talk about that. Yeah, uh, uh, Alex recently got to sit in the jump seat. Uh, his, your first, right? Yep. Um, yep. And so, but when you're traveling with your family and there are children involved, <laughs> you, you, you got you to gotta have some kind of security that you're not going to get stuck somewhere like Portland, Oregon for five days trying to get out of there on non-rev. You end up buying a full fare ticket, you know? So yeah, we elected <laughs> the day of that morning. We're like, just cancel everything. We're not, we're not going to go. We'll just drive. So the airline pilot and family uh, jumped in the FJ and, and drove up highway one and just kind of like, chilled speed limiter less stopped often uh stopped at morro bay stayed at morro bay for the night had a just wonderful dinner uh with a a view of the sunset and then the next day stayed in a quaint little hotel we stayed there before actually it has uh, little fireplaces in the rooms and the little doilies on the tables and the curtains are all like 1980s threw up in there but it it was fun and uh then we continued up the coast and end up uh, driving through Big Sur and and you know, checking out the the sea lions and uh, ended up in San Jose, California, and had went to Japantown in San Jose. They have a little Japantown area. Had some of the best Japanese hot pot I think I've ever had. And uh, then the next day, San Francisco, and uh, we were we had originally planned to to do a little bit more of an adventure to include Tahoe and Yosemite and maybe even Vegas. But we ended up cutting it short uh, and drove home and and uh, spent another couple days with family. And that was it. That was our vacation. And in the end, it turned out to be relatively relaxing and, and not a lot of stress, not a, are we going to get on the flight? Are we not going to get on the flight? So, you know, that's that's unfortunately people think, oh, you're a pilot and family. You fly for free. Yes, kind of space available. So if there are open seats on the airplane and no other people above you in seniority or in, in priority get it, then yeah, you can fly for free with you and your family, but space available, you can't reserve anything. And, you know, when the flights are, have, you know, 10 or 15 open seats, then okay, great. But nowadays, every single flight is overbooked, oversold. And they are canceling thousands of flight. Every carrier is canceling thousands of flight this summer because of lack of staffing and lack of airplanes. Um, but depending on who you ask, this pilot included, I think it's mismanagement of resources. Um, well, I don't think I know it is. <laughs> so you had, you know, and Alex, you you had texted me a bit and you're like, hey, uh, my first time jump seating, I'm going to. And check it out. And how do I how do I do this? Tell me about your little adventure. Uh, so we got um, the the reason why I got to jump seat and and go home was uh, so I was in through Indoc and the, the they split up our Indoc class in three different uh, chunks, and I was in the first chunk that immediately rolled into the next phase of training. They sent the other guys home for a week or two weeks, and they're coming back to to go into specials and then into systems and all that well after we got through so it came the next week was two days of special training which is 
how to use the the door, how to use the 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 slide, jump down the slide, uh, all that kind of stuff. Fatigue management, all specials, non non system related and non FOM related stuff. And then after specials was days off, and I say off loosely to complete our computer based training modules. Well, I completed mine way ahead of time, so I was like, well, I'm done. I'm gonna go home. And I looked at the flights and I saw that the Dallas flights out to Ontario were pretty open in the evening time. I say pretty open. I mean, they were yellowish going into red, but there was nobody listed for the jump seats or that I could see on the standby list for the jump seats. Now, not to interrupt you, but just quickly so, so the listeners out there that, that may not be in the industry understand. So we have a, uh, a portal through our company's travel planning website where we as employees can go in there and take a look at you know book flights just like a, a regular passenger would but we look in there and we can see what the loads are like days in advance and uh, before we cl click on any particular flight it'll have a color label and red means chances are not good that you're going to get on uh, because it's either overbooked or there aren't any seats available yellow means eh, like five to ten seats possibly available but there are people also that you know, might be listed on the standby list. And then green means, yeah, your chances to get on are, are great. Um, and that's usually 10 or more open seats. And I don't know if that's the exact criteria, but but anyway, that's what the, the red, yellow, and green uh, that we're referring to is. So so yours was like kind of yellowish? Yellowish. Uh, and then the day of, it was definitely red. And by the time I got to the airport, it was minus red. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, but I was still the only, um, well, there was two listed for the flight deck jump seat and the other guy didn't show up. Yeah. So I was able to, to, to get on and get in the jump seat and rode home, uh, for my first jump seat experience. And, uh, you Airbus pilots are spoiled. <laughs> so spoiled. <laughs> the only thing that I'll say that I'm glad that like I'm in the 175 because we we are way more automated than you, but we don't have that nice fancy tray table. Oh well, I have news for you, uh, and and this is effective today. Uh, oh, actually, uh -oh. effective today, we had a new AOM or aircraft operating manual that was published today, um, and in accordance with Airbus engineering. Effective immediately, the tray table shall be stowed in its stowed position for takeoff and landing. Uh, the reason they're giving us this directive is they say that in the event of a rejected takeoff or a rejected landing, um, there could be damage to the cockpit. And if there's damage to the cockpit or a twisting of the airframe or something that would prevent or potentially prevent the tray table from being stowed, it would effectively reduce your ability to egress the aircraft. So in accordance with uh, a bulletin that came out from Airbus, uh, we are no longer allowed to have that tray table out during takeoff or landing, which... That's fine, but as a first officer who is writing down taxi clearances, clearances, amendments to the departure clearance, gate assignments, uh, all that stuff, I put it, I write it right there on my, on my notepad or my paper that I have on the tray table. 
and they'll say, oh, well, why don't you use that little you know, notepad or scratch pad table that's on the windowsill on your right? Well, there's something there called an EFB tray. <laughs> uh, yeah, so effective immediately for those that look at us Airbus guys and go, ah, you're freaking tray tables. Like, mm. You know what? All is right in the world. No. Oh. Feel better now? <laughs> yes, I do actually. Uh, so, so you got to experience the Airbus uh, jump seat, and which you can stand up. I mean, you can you can dance oh, in that cockpit, there, right? I yeah. There was at one point uh, we all had to, we all went and did a bathroom break, and I was able to get up, stand behind the captain, while the FO went out, and then you know I sat in the FO seat while she was gone. Just I didn't touch anything or do no, you anything. Didn't. I just no, you didn't. No, you didn't. I sat back down in my jump seat. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not allowed to do that. It's no, actually I, a big, big I, I, sat, I, I sat back down and like, it, there's like, I was texting you before this flight and it was like, man, I was like, there, there's two jump seats in this. Right. And you're like, yeah. And I was like, how is it with two people in there? Because like some cockpits, obviously growing up with my, my dad and being around in the industry, uh, when he flew for legacy that like some of those cockpits are assholes and elbows. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there, there were, there was so much room for activities in that Airbus cockpit. Activities. Yeah. So many activities. <laughs> we don't talk about flight club. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was actually quite wonderful. And I, I kind of got the, I think you had told me this too, at some point that like some guys like to take the jump seat behind the captain um, and take the backing off, turn it sideways, and then yeah. you can sit sideways and stretch right. out. Right, right. Which I, di I didn't do that. I sat. I wanted to sit and watch because yeah. You know, so you took the middle, the the slide out jump seat, and sat in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Did you put yeah. your headphones on during taxi and takeoff? I did. Oh, see, there you go. Hey, good, good yeah. job. Good yeah. job. Now, now the next time that I jump seat, I'm, if I'm on an Airbus, I'm definitely taking that uh, backing out, turning it sideways, and just yeah. sitting there. Yeah, just make sure you ask before you do it because some some pilots are very, oh, you can't do that, you know. Others will like, yeah, man, you could put them on the ground, lay down, you can totally fall asleep, <laughs> like make a bed. <laughs> like, no, thank you. I'll keep my seatbelt on, thanks. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and you know, we've talked about this, especially in the first uh, probably fifty episodes that that we've produced. And jump seat etiquette uh, came up quite a bit. How did you find? I mean, we've talked about it, so you were knowledgeable, but how did you find that whole asking permission to sit in the jump seat go? Was it pretty easy going or was it stressful? Or? Yeah. No, it was pretty easy. I got, I, I got my, uh, my ticket um, and uh, there was a, a couple um, F, FAs that were trying to, to catch a ride home as well. So they were getting in the back, but went up to, uh, went up to the captain while we were in there uh, walked up i was like hey captain just trying to catch a ride home do you mind if i ride with you he's like no sure let me see your boarding pass uh he checked my he did what he was supposed to do check my id check you know check my license and medical and all that stuff and it's pretty easy yeah i, I don't know why people complain that jump seating is super tough oh you gotta ask the captain uh do you not talk to people in a normal environment right because that's all it is you're just asking the dude a question yeah that, 
I mean, and there are some nightmare stories out there. I, I've lived through quite a few. I've told those tales here on the show in the past episodes. Um, but for the most part, it's if you know what you're supposed to do, though, you walk in there with an air of confidence and you say, hey, Captain, is it right if I catch a ride with you? Oh, yeah, sure. And they, you know, whatever. They go through the procedure. And, you know, for the most part, like uh, someone that jump seats all the time will say, okay, I'm going to step out on the jet bridge, get out of your way. Uh, and that way you guys, you know, can run your checklist and stuff and not have me as a distraction. Um, and some flight crews appreciate that, especially if there's a lot going on. Um, others are like, nah, just sit down, have a seat. You're fine. You know? Um, so, but I always offer like, Hey, you need me, I'll, I'll step out on the jet bridge if you like, and I'll get out of your way. And they'll usually go, Oh yeah. Okay. And then you wait until the gate agent comes down, you know, okay, that's the last one. So now you, all right, the gate agent's down. Make sure you go to the bathroom before you shut the door. You don't want to sit there and do the do the dance and be like, hey, guys, oh, can, can, can we do a bathroom break, please? We've been in the air 10 minutes. What? <laughs> so I'm sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad you went through that experience. Yeah, it was and, it was it was super fun. Like, were you in it, uniform? It, it, uh, well, no. So actually, my I just got notification yesterday that uh, my uniforms being uh, shipped to my house should be delivered tomorrow. Oh, OK. And uh, what uh, was the manufacturer on that? Is it H&M? Uh, M&H. M&H. Yeah, yeah, H&M. Yeah. M&H, the other one. Yeah, m <laughs> About the same quality. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Uh, don't uh, – uh, yeah, here's some advice. Uh, wash the shirts thoroughly before you wear them the first time. Okay. Um, and the pants and the jacket obviously are dry clean only. I've been washing my pants – uh, every time they don't last as long, I have to buy a new pair every year. I always have at least two or three in rotation. Um, and, but don't dry them in the okay. dryer. If you do put them in the dryer for like five minutes and then pull them out, uh, and then hang them because the elasticity of the, sometimes the waistbands have that elastic and they have a the little rubber mm-hmm. thing. So your shirt doesn't pucker out. Um, uh, yeah, you don't want to put them in the dryer. Uh, and then if you do the ironing, thing if you're a, an iron guy um with the shirts be careful on the layovers <laughs> don't just put water in your iron and then you know wait for it to to start to heat up and then just stick it on your beautiful white shirt because i guarantee uh at least one out of every two irons <laughs> has either black soot or calcium deposits that come out and then they stain your shirt and ruin your shirt oh. You don't have to. You don't have to remind me. I've, I've been in the military and I've been in hotels and oh, yeah. stayed with uh, doing all that. So yeah, no, trust me. I'm well aware of yeah. ruining uniforms because you don't check the iron. Yeah, I, I've my grandfather taught me when I was I think six or seven years old. Always have a handkerchief in your pocket as a man. It's part of it's part of the definition of being a man is have a handkerchief in your pocket. For one, if you see a damsel in distress, <laughs> you can hand them a nice clean white handkerchief, and they'll be impressed. Um, it's, it's worked. It has worked. Uh, but more importantly for you, you know, you get a runny nose or something, uh, instead of scrounging around looking for a tissue, which when you're in the cockpit, uh, unless you have a experienced flight crew that goes, Hey, there's no tissue box in here. Hey, can we get a tissue box up here? Um, there'll, there'll be times when you'll be up there with nothing <laughs> and you're not going to sit there on your sleeve. Oh, sorry about that. Cap. <laughs> yeah. So have no, a handkerchief. Yeah, and what I do is I take that handkerchief out because I always have you know a stash in my bag, and I use that as a barrier between the iron and the shirt. Oh, wow. <laughs> yep. 
that's that's uh that's good advice there i like that one yeah but yeah. i figure i'll just use the acars printer paper since we like to kill trees <laughs> we don't we're going we've gone completely paperless now over on our side i don't know about you guys are still printing out the releases yeah well yeah we're still getting the releases uh from up up top yeah and then uh, obviously all throughout the flight you know you get all those messages and your tps reports and you know yeah, i better I, have that new cover letter on that tps report i tell you you know it's funny so one of the guys who's in my class he's uh he he's uh two numbers senior to me only because we break down in the the age right he's a little older than me right and we're the only ones who get the office re uh, office space jokes when the tps thing comes out and like the rest of the class is just like what? what do you mean tps reports what are those boomers doing talking about <laughs> yeah no i it's just hilarious that like we're we're snickering at tps reports and like everyone's kind of just like what what's a tps report i don't get that <laughs> well we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with alex dean we're gonna talk about the process so far and tips on how to just get all that information from the fire hose and not spill it. We'll be right back. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Well, we've been speaking with Alex D about his new hire training and what he's been experiences, some of his adventures on the jump seat for the first time uh, in his career as an airline pilot. Uh, we also listened to some feedback from our very own Captain Roger and his whirlwind adventure. Uh, but now I would like to dive a little bit more into some more specifics about your ground school. Now here at the show, we, we obviously we're all about the journey in today's aviators and the realities that, that they can expect in today's marketplace. What better way to demonstrate that with someone who is real time going through that process? So Alex, I just wanna say thank you to you again for being such a great part of the Squawk Ident community and agreeing to be with us here. Um, and we're gonna see a lot more of you here on the show as you progress through your experience at Sandpiper Regional. Now, earlier in the show, you talked about the process, how you had your orientation, you went home for a while, and you came back, did some in-doc, went on a little bit of vacation, and, uh, and then came back and, and started your ground school. Now, walk us through the first part of your ground school. So once you came back for your aircraft ground school, what were the first few days like? Well, so technically, when I went on vacation, I was in my first in my first phase of long term uh, ground school. Mm, okay. So Sandpiper, they, I'm going to hold up a sheet, and I know it doesn't mean much, but there's a hard like dotted line across the first week here, and of course now I try to hold it and it goes away. But I'll send you a picture of this later. Yeah, How about yeah. that? <laughs> um, but in in the first line there, it talks about in dock, and then there's a line that divides it. Uh, basic in-doc is still considered not long-term training. Mm. Uh, so long-term training starts on specials, day one. So la last Monday, I started my long-term training. And like I had mentioned, they'd split our 
indoc class, which we were the biggest indoc class yet until this last one started going through. Um, we had 29 in our indoc class. Oh wow! And uh, the week the the indoc class before that had 14. Sandpiper is finally deciding to, um, I guess, not mismanage their indoc classes and start to fill it better. Um, and uh, but it, it's still it's still not enough. Well, that's a whole another topic. Uh, but so specials were two days, and then like I said, it was three days for three days off for CBTs, mm-hmm. and uh, you click through them and pay attention. Um, and I say pay attention as best as you can uh, to those CBTs because they are just long and boring. The system on the Embraer 175 has... And the computer voice is in... Oh, God. And the internal air well, turbine enter temperature range from engine start to <laughs> stabilized engine is... <laughs> at least they tried to change it up. Yeah. You know, they... They tried inserting inserting other voices to make it so it's not so yeah. boring. Right. But it's oh god. So, so like I said, I finished those. I came back on Sunday, and when you leave and go and uh, to training from your home, uh, you can insert yourself into the computer system on a must ride travel back to training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I did when I when I came back. Oh, so you got positive um, space uh, travel back to training. Yeah, good. Yeah, which which it makes sense, right? Like if you're going to training, you you need to positive space yourself, right? Um, so I did, and the, the, I got out on that Sunday. I was, you know, I'm still hoping that I'm gonna cross paths with you one of these days when I'm going out to Dallas. Hasn't happened yet, but it will. Yeah. Um, and then so now I've been in systems uh, for this week, um, and we were in systems one and systems two. I'm trying to find my notebook. Uh, give me one second. Um, still talking while I'm doing this. So systems one and systems two days were um, talking. The first day was about performance and weight and balance. And I showed you that uh, form. They had a manual weight and balance. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was basically day one. Um, and then day two was more of um, – like we talked about the air management control system. So your pneumatics, your bleed airs, your packs, your air conditioning, ECS, right? Um, hydraulics. Uh, we talked about uh, the Ram air turbine, the fuel system, uh, the APU. In one day. No, no. APU was on the other day. But yeah. the, the next day was engines, uh thrust management, the electrical system, the fuel system, the air management system, the hydraulic system, and the fire suppression system. So speaking of fire, fire hose. (laughs) You know, it is, the the expression is true. I know you guys mention it all the time going in here, and it is really drinking from a fire hose. It really is. Um, and I, I equated, I sent my, a text message to my wife. I said, it, it, this really is like drinking from a fire hose and forgetting how to drink. Sorry, my Siri just decided to go off, apparently. Norris. Um, and yeah. so you got a taste of what we were talking about here on the show. Um, and there are ways 
to retain that information. You're not going to obviously retain it day one unless you have an endemic memory and you can remember everything, which I, I so wish I had that talent. I, oh, God, I wish I did <laughs> make life so much easier. I forget more than I've ever learned. Um, so, Well, they call it the FAA. It's a forget all after. Oh, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> What? <laughs> you've been a pilot longer than me and you've never heard it's the forget all after? I would never say anything disparagingly against the FAA. <laughs> so so you're drinking from the fire hose. What techniques are you using? Uh, are you studying in groups? Uh, are you are you meeting up after or are you all going to the cowboy strip club and partying like rock stars every night? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column okay. B. No. Uh, <laughs> no, we um so when when we I say we because there's a group of us we met um, I actually met a few of these guys back in ATP CTP oh yeah so back in February mm-hmm. um, I met with one of them um, and he's the 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 guy who's two numbers senior to me he lives out here uh, he's the guy that I sent you the video of uh, his house on the runway oh yeah wow wow yeah only in Texas yeah. right yeah right um, <laughs> had his own so, hangar house. Uh, <laughs> Oh God, it's beautiful. So beautiful. Hashtag retirement goals. That's, that's, that's it. Yeah. So, um, but he was in ATP CTP and he introduced me to the people that we're all going through in doc together. Mm. Um, so we met, uh, we met up in orientation again and kind of had like, you know, a dinner the night before and just like, Hey, how's everybody? And then, okay, bye. See, see, see you whenever we start class. And then, we were waiting and getting our class dates and he actually got a class date two weeks prior to everybody else uh-huh. going into indoc mm-hmm. um which was kind of like we were kind of all like no not mike mike's gone um but as it stood he was the tail end of his class mm. um which caused him to delay for two weeks to start long-term training and i was the number one in our indoc class so I was rolling straight through. I see. So we met back up again. Oh, okay. Um, and I mean, so that's that's the biggest thing is you got to find a group while you're going through this. Uh, the hotel that we stay at is really amazing because, A, everybody's here. <laughs> so if you go downstairs at any given point, like I know if I go downstairs right now, there's going to be groups of just different people studying together. So. Yeah. You got to find your different groups. You got, you have to do that. Number one, that that's my big, like you need to study in a group because you may know something that someone else doesn't and someone else may know or be able to explain it in a better way than you understand it. Yeah. And it just works in that learning curve. Right. The other big thing is, I know I showed you this earlier, make note cards, Yes. make flashcards of everything limitations, flows, call-outs, whatevers, because it makes studying so much easier and so much quicker, especially if you can just, like, I can get through the stack in, like, 15 minutes tops. Right. You know? Now, the, the um, argument is out there that, you know, flashcards promote rote memorization, not long-term memory, and there's, there's truth to that statement. However, flashcards in this environment when you're learning systems – and flows and callouts and checklists and all these things are absolutely valuable. And the reason for me, and it's not the same for everyone, but the reason for me is when I physically take pen to paper and create a flashcard, 
and, you know, put the source on the back and small printing, like where I found that and everything. When I do that, and then my stack gets bigger and bigger, like the one you just showed us. Uh, that's my small that's one. By small, the way. Yeah. And so I had one for like the limitations, right? The stuff that you have to yeah. commit to memory. And those I had with like red Sharpie. And then I had like the system stuff, the, they're just like informational, but you should know it. And that was like black Sharpie. And then I had like my, my callouts and procedures and my flows. And those were all like in green Sharpie. Look at that. I mean, that's, what is that like a hundred cards? Uh, so between these two packs is 220 something cards. Yeah. And you'll never want to get rid of those because you put a lot of time nope. and effort in those. I still have mine. Nope. I still have mine from my Embraer days uh, 20 oh, years God. ago, you know, Sandpiper, well, 15, 16, 17 years ago, a Sandpiper. But you were flying on when they were brand new airplanes. Well, I, the top. I'm not that old. <laughs> 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 but yeah, when, when, uh, when, the company decided to like really start ordering a bunch of those and stuff. Yeah. I was, I was there throughout that process and um, yeah, those flashcards to this day, I'll have them. I'll never get rid of them. Um, and more of it is sentimental than anything else because I, I don't plan on going back to the Embraer anytime soon, maybe someday in corporate after I retire, who knows? I doubt it. Um, yeah, don't worry. They're getting, they're phase, they're trying to phase them out here. So yeah. you'll probably never see them again. Right. The one, at least the 145. Um, yeah. unless I end up like in Guadalajara flying 145s for some dodgy character. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you never know, <laughs> but Hey, could happen. Yeah. And I, I have made them here for the Airbus as well. Um, mm -hmm. and it's like, you're going through long-term and I have recurrent in two and a half weeks. So guess what came out last week? You're, you're, you're going to be here uh -huh. while I'm here. Yep. We're getting dinner. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Actually, I'm going to be there tomorrow uh, only for a few hours though at the airport. Oh. Yeah. You'll be in, you'll be in class. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, our, our paths will cross. No, no, no doubt about that. So how important is it to have fun during training? As much as you work hard and you're studying, you need to, you also need to release. You also need to, to not, you know, study and not overload your brain. You can burn out, um, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I always told my students when they were going in for their, their check rides that like, hey, so your check ride is Tuesday at, you know, four o'clock or that's actually really late. Tuesday at two o'clock, right? Cool. So what I want you to do tonight is you get to study or you don't get to study after like, say, five or six o'clock in the evening time. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know it already, you're not going to know it no. anymore. You can't cram any more information in. You're going to stress yourself out. You're not going to sleep. You're not going to eat well. You're not going to be rested and ready to go for that next day. So when it comes for your check ride, like don't cram, right? Get get a good night's sleep. Enjoy yourself. Go have a beer. You know, go have a good dinner. Do whatever you need to do. <laughs> and you know, it, it, enjoy yourself, right? And, and that's. All I see is curtain. That's water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I finished my uh, Texas special, so now I'm on to uh, water. Oh, but you're absolutely but, right. Yeah, you, you, need to, you, you need to study, and you need to, you need to be in here, but you also need to go and have some fun. You know, you need to get in your little group, and hopefully someone in your group has a car, because that's the other big thing. Yeah, you're that's you're a stranded big, at the that's hotel. That's a big thing, yeah. Um, 
but you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta have some fun while you're here too. You can't just be pent up. So, and, and our group pretty much has a, has a good collection of guys that were able to do that. Like it, it started out, there was, um, nine of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and now out of that, not nine, seven, seven of us, seven of us, there was seven of us. And out of that seven, four moved on for week one and we're all together. Um, two are a week behind us Mm -hmm. and one is another week behind him. Yeah. So, um, but the, the two that are behind us, um, they're coming up and trying to, to study and get with us, you know, to see, Hey, what's going on? What's, what's the next phase? What, and you know, everybody's doing that. Like they talk, like we've been talking to guys that are in their cockpit procedure training, which is what I start next Monday. Um, and that, you know, you talk to, to people ahead of you to figure out, okay, cool. So this is what I need to expect and learn. Awesome. And then the next day, or, you know, the people behind you are going, hey, what system's like? What am I supposed to expect? And the people behind that, hey, what special's like? What can I expect? Mm-hmm. So you, when, you're at, when you're at the training hotel, whatever hotel that you're at, whatever airline that you're at, you're all going to be put in the same hotel. Get together with people yeah that's the that, that's my biggest piece of advice like if it weren't for mike luke ken chris uh philip like right now those six I, I would say dave but dave's two weeks behind us and he's he doesn't really count because he's not here right but those six people you know we're all kind of bouncing back and forth off of each other yeah right it's crucial it absolutely yeah. is crucial and if there's a gouge out there floating around uh, on the internet or whatever, <laughs> look at it. I mean, use every available resource that you can find in order to execute a safe operation, which includes training. If it's available to you, use it. It's a resource. It's no different than being in the airplane. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And, you know, on, on the, the company iPad that they give you, you know, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about with the, the comply app. Like for us at, at Sandpiper, if, if it's not on, uh, on the comply app, like it, it doesn't exist basically because they put literally everything in there mm-hmm. to help you pass. Yeah. Yeah. And there are th- many, there are many uh, third party uh, apps out there and third party websites that have like the study gouge or the study guide or the systems guide. And Hey, you know what? That's all fine and dandy. And if you want to use that to supplement the, the baseline information that you have in your company's electronic flight manuals, by all means. But when you take shortcuts like that and try to just, just give me the answer, just give me the answer. I don't want to, I don't care where you got it. Just give me the answer. Well, that's that goes towards again that rote memorization of knowing only what you need to pass. And as a former mm-hmm. flight instructor and a former check airman uh, myself, and I know Rob, uh, same thing for him. He could vouch exactly and agree with what I'm saying next. And that is, I would rather have someone struggle on a sim ride or you know on a line check. I'd rather have them struggle and figure it out the right way to a successful outcome than to have someone who just got lucky and, you know, the only thing that went wrong, it was the one thing that they knew how to do, how to repair or how to fix. And the, that's the one procedure they got. 
and because maybe they read the gouge and that's the one they got. And I'd rather have the guy that struggled or the gal that struggled and figured it out than the person that had like the perfect little ride, but they're weak in other departments yeah. and we just didn't catch it. And, and most of the time well, we can kind of tell because of the, some of the responses are like questionable and it's like, okay, well you passed, but you know, how many times have, have I been through and say, well, you passed, just make sure you hit the books on those, you know, whatever that system or that procedure. And I'd always, oh, shit, okay. And I'd sit there and write it down in the debrief. You know, a lot of people, they debrief after the sim ride, you're just brain dumped all your information because you're exhausted. You're mentally exhausted. Yeah. And they're, they're telling you, okay, well, you got to do this better, this better, and this better. But, you know, you're fine. You're within PTS. And you're like, okay, great. And I say, what did they tell you you had to fix? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> Information's gone spent. And a couple of days later, you'll remember. But uh, I always would write it down and make sure that I, you know, reviewed that stuff because I'd rather fix a problem before it, it kind of grows into a bigger problem and then could potentially mean me having to redo something or repeat something or not have a pass. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree with you. We were actually, so today was, today was the first day in training that I actually felt like, not saying that I didn't learn anything those other days, but today was the first day where like everything started to click. Mm. Does that make sense? Because yeah. we were in the, the FMS trainer. And the one thing I can say about this airplane and Rob will attest to this. Since he was a, I found out he was a, a Czech airman on the 175 mm -hmm. before he left. Um, this plane is automated. Like there's no, like we, we, we make the joke that like it is virtually idiot proof. Control all delete, I man. Mean, there, there's still there's there's still ways you can mess it up. Don't 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 get me wrong. There there's still ways that you can mess up this airplane, but for the most part, all the systems and stuff like that. Like when you we were talking, there's a couple captain upgrades in our group, and they're coming from the 145s, and they're like, man, like these pack systems, you don't have to do anything. Everything's all in alignment. All you have to do is just look up at your knobs and go, yep, the switches are in, the knobs are way I want them. Cool. And you leave it <laughs> I know. because we were configuring packs before we left. We had to, you know, set the temperatures, set all this. Nope. You just set it. And like with typing everything into the, the, the MCDU, the multifunction control display unit, it, it takes care of all the guesswork. Like you don't have to set your altitudes. You don't have to set your field elevations, all that stuff. Now, when you do is because there's some kind of error in the system. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, we had a, a saying that they, the company quickly removed from the vernacular and training right after I got there. But there were two different types of pack configurations for takeoff. One was referred to as hangover black, and the other was four bars open. So on the Embraer 145, you either took off four bars open or hangover black. Now, hangover black meant that all the packs and the bleeds were configured in normally. And it has uh, the Embraer, like the Airbus, has what they call a dark cockpit configuration. Mm -hmm. So they want the, the bar lights or the switches and everything to all be dark, which is in their normal yep. position. And if you dark and twelve o'clock, right? And if you like deselect something, like turn off a bleed uh, or turn off a pack, then it'll have like a white illuminated bar and an off mm -hmm. indication. Um, and so when you had to do a high-performance takeoff, or what we called a TO or TO1 takeoff in the Embraer 145, if I remember correctly, 
um, then you would use the APU bleed mm -hmm. uh, to supply packs, and then the engine bleeds were off, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So you would have... Yep. Nope, that's, that's still right. Is it still right? Yeah, so you would have... Yep. Uh, three or four bars open or three bars open. So, you know, of course, everything has to be an alcohol okay. reference. So it's either three bars open for the maximum <laughs> takeoff performance or hangover black for just, you know, chill and take off normally. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, it's still, it's basically the same. Like you said, we don't have to worry about configuring. All we have to do is just look up at our packs and if everything's dark and ready to go, then we're ready to go. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of nice on that, but we were, the the you know like going back to what you're saying about looking it up and trying to find the answer and all that stuff and you know doing it the right way we were in the fms lab today and we were trying to figure out me and my fms partner we're trying to figure out why at a certain or why were we up at altitude at like say twenty six thousand feet on our flight plan why were we getting in heading mode the the bank angle limit like you know only going to 17 degrees mm. so half your bank angle and we, we, we knew that it had to do with being in heading mode. We knew all that, but we didn't know what altitude that it kicks over. So you're not going to like pull over. Right. So the, the instructor basically said, okay, you know, look up in the, the, the AOM or the FOM, like, you know, figure, like figure it out. Right. Yeah. And we did, we, we did our due diligence. We looked, we looked, we looked, and he was even looking and he came over to us at one point and he's like, you know, it's about 20, 25,000 feet is when the switchover happened. It's not, there's no thing, there's nothing in the book. Cause we were looking, we're like, we can't find it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm reaching that, and I'm, I'm probably wrong, but in the back of my mind and mind you, the last time I had any kind of training for the Embraer 145 was more than five years ago, but I want to say 24, five plus or minus 400. I don't know why, but, <laughs> but there was nothing like hard listed in the yeah. book that there was a certain altitude. Yeah. Well, it would be, it, it wouldn't it be in the it. AOM because I know they've changed the way all those, these labels are. It used to be, we had uh, uh, AOM part one and AOM part two and AOM part one is everything yep. you needed to know while you're on the flight line for the systems and the safe operation of the aircraft. And then AOM part two was the gray book. We had books back then, not electronic and then the gray book that was the dusty book and that's when you could keep it home you weren't required to bring it with you but that had like all the specs like a like a mechanic would have to like look into that and see that's where all your altitudes and your specs and your dimensions for everything were and there are pilots that knew that book backwards and forwards the aom part two uh, the dusty book uh, but that's where you would find that kind of stuff not in the in the uh, red book that we had the AOM yeah. one. So we we have, so now in, in, in our vernacular, right? We've got the, it is now called the Flight Operations Manual or FOM one. Yeah, like us, yeah. Right? Yep, that's what you guys have. Um, and that's your company-specific rules and operating stuff, right? That's, doesn't matter what airplane you're on, that's air, air non-aircraft Company-wide yeah. procedures, yeah. Um, your AOM one is aircraft specific procedures right so that's going to be for us the 175 that's going to be your your flows your 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 call outs all that stuff right how to how to take a cold dark airplane from cold and dark all the way back to cold and dark yeah right um and then aom2 is your systems and how they all operate like what you were saying in the mechanic world 
Um, and that's kind of going into, hey, what altitude does this happen at, right? So, and that's what we're doing. We, we scoured the, the FOM, we scoured the AOM, one and two, and couldn't find it. Even to try to dig into the QRH, maybe thought it was in there, but yeah. no, we couldn't find it. So the instructor did come over at one point. He's like, yeah, it's about 25,000 feet. I couldn't find anything specific in the book. I just know that it happens about 25,000 yeah. feet. So, yeah, but no, that's, that's, that's exactly it. Like they would rather see us struggle and do it right and get it right. than to just the, you know, the EGT for the APU start is 1032 degrees. Well, cool. <laughs> how, how, how'd you find that? Where is that? You know? So yeah, it, it, it's stuff like that. Uh, it's in and, the red. It's in the green. It, if it's not in the green, yeah. something's wrong. <laughs> Pretty much. So, uh, and that's kind of where I'm at right now is we're, we're through technically our second week of long-term training, mm. um, which tomorrow will be the, the third day of systems. So they, they split us, uh, our group of 20 mm. split for today and tomorrow. Mm. Um, and the first half, the, the more senior people <laughs> went to systems three and the more junior people went to the FMS lab. Okay. And then tomorrow we're flip-flopping. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow we're getting systems and they're getting FMS yeah. only because they have a limited amount of computers that they can use for it. Right. Um, and then Friday we go into CPT prep mm -hmm. and CPT for, for the listeners that don't know is cockpit procedure training. This is where you go through, and instead of having your paper tigers or anything like that, um, you have your actual like touchscreened computers of the airplane, and you run yourself through a scenario uh, that you're actually going to see in the sim. Right. So they do our training smart, and I probably do it up at uh, Mainline as well, mm -hmm. where your CPT trainer matches your sim event training. Yep. Yeah, it's just instead of so, the no physical knobs this. and switches inside a level two, level three, full motion, level four, whatever it is, it's just a touchscreen, giant 45-inch 3M touchscreen, computer screen. And its display is the same, and you touch the screen, and that knob will change and stuff. And this scenario, then it has the FMS, and it's it's just basically a giant flight simulator with like what four screens one for the center pedestal two yeah. ahead of you and one over your head i mean it's pretty much and it's, it's all touch button touch screen stuff um and one of the most fascinating pieces of equipment i mean it's amazing that the technology is there now granted when i was going through cbt's we had a paper tiger that was in a cabinet that had a light yep. switch that you would kick, yep. kick the toggle switch at your foot and all the lights would come on and it looked just like it, but nothing happened. <laughs> you just look up and you're like, oh. I'm, I'm going to send you a picture later tonight. Um, down in our study room, they have two of those the old, old school yeah. 145 trainers that the, the it's at the bottom of the pedestal. You kick it on and the lights come yeah. on and it's the trainer. Yeah. But it's funny because those trainers are covered up now with 175 uh, uh, poster boards. Uh -huh. So... Oh, so they didn't even yes, put a new still... trainer for the 175. They just put the they yeah. put the paper tiger yeah. of the 175 yeah, over that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, man. but I mean, it, it, you know what? I I honestly don't care because uh, we they all gave us a paper tiger for you know our own yeah. 
keeping and having and all that stuff. And I showed you earlier, mine's in my hotel room on my, on my wall. Right. So that way I can, you know, study and do all that stuff. But yeah, chair flying honestly, is, is it, a crucial part of your initial and, and your recurrent too. Chair flying is definitely going through your flows and everything. And, you know, people think, well, once you learn it once, you're fine, right? No, no. because the company no. keeps changing stuff all the yeah. time. You know, the, the, the rules of primacy will come in, especially when you're fatigued and you're out there on the line and you're stressed. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to do your your Cessna 172 uh, before start call outs for a second. You're like, oh, uh, uh, I mean. Uh. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and no, you're right. And that's and that's why it, it is so crucial. And even still doing this in my room, like I do it for a little bit, but then I'll go downstairs because yeah. I would rather work on the flows with, you know, somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because, again, like. I, I'm, I learn the, the best way is that like, I like to know why you do the thing you're doing. Right. And like our, our, I'm blanking on what it is, but, um, we have the, the checklist, the, the cockpit preparation checklist or hold on, where's my, there it is. Um, we have the, oh yeah, our checklist. Hey, there you go. Front and back or just one. Yeah. Uh, the, the checklist is, uh, just one, but on the backside, it's kind of just informational ah, stuff. Okay. Cool. So, but we have the safety and power on checklist, right? And it's like, well, why are we doing the safety and power on checklist? Well, if you think about it, the reason why we're doing it is because we're going to apply power to this cold, dark airplane. And we don't, A, want to have something happen to the airplane that doesn't need to happen, like the engines magically start or, you know, the, the landing gear come up. Mm -hmm. I know that it was, and I know they have like weight on wheel switches and stuff like that, but, you know, you don't need to run that risk or if maintenance is doing something to the airplane and you come down and you notice you're, you look at the wings and you're like, Oh, that's weird. The, the slats are down. Like, huh? Okay. And then you go in the cockpit and you see that the slap, the slat lever flap lever is up. You're like, um, well, that doesn't match. So let me make a match. Right. Cause if you go power it on, well, there could be a maintenance guy up in that wing right now. Yeah. And now you've just, you know, scissored him in half with the, the hydraulics of that slat. Okay, right. Right. So, and, and that's, I like to know that reason, right. And that's the whole purpose of the safety and power on checks, right. So it's stuff like that. You know, why do we do the flows that we do? Well, if we're doing our, um, before pushback flow, right. Or before pushback flow, we're closing our window. We're checking, you know, to make sure our PFDs and MFDs are good. We're making sure the, uh, ADS heaters are out so that we're not getting electrical because we're about to start the engine and that's a high electricity draw. Right. So we want to save the batteries for the start and have the pneumatics and all that stuff get ready. Um, and we want to make sure that our doors are locked on the status page and our, our flight door uh, is locked and all that stuff. So, you know, it, all these things have a logical thing mm -hmm. of why they're going the way that they're going. Yeah. And the sequential order is is crucial. And people go, well, I got it done. It's like, well, you got to do it in the right order. There's a reason. There's always a reason. So, yeah. And, and yeah. you know, you met, mentioned and earlier. It was. It was oh, go ahead. No, it was, it was interesting, obviously, seeing it at mainline, right? Like, you, you just see the, the both pilots in different phases of the flight, and you'll just watch them, and, like, the captain will start reaching for something, and then the co-pilot will reach for something, and then they'll, they'll just go back and forth, and you'll just see them dance around the cockpit, not saying a word to one another. And they're like, okay, cool. Hey, uh, before start checklist. Oh, okay. Yeah. Triggers and flows. And I'm like, Triggers and flows. Yeah. I'm like, just happened yeah, captain like, did that that triggered the fo to do this and which triggered the captain yeah. to do that which triggered the fo to do 
this. And so, yeah, it's, it's a dance. And it's funny. You don't even have to know the person next to you. You've never flown with them before in your life. And you sit down in your cockpit. Hello. You know, my name is Dave. My name's Bob, whatever. And all right, let's, you ready to go? Five prior. That's a trigger. Okay. What do we do? Five prior. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, let's root verification. Uh, okay. Let's do the before start checks or whatever. Okay. And so you'd run it and, but you've already done everything because everything, all your flows lead to this moment. And then the checklist is just that to check that you did everything on the list. So, yep. yeah, I mean, it's, it's great experience that you're going through all that. Um, thank you for sharing that with us, with, with how you uh, study all that fire hose information. How do you retain it? The yep. note cards is a fantastic way to do. What I used to do is I'd go through them and then, uh, and you'll probably have started to do this as well, although you're still pretty early on in your, in your training. I would put the stacks in a particular order. And like every system was in its own little stack. And then once I knew the answer to that question, that card got pulled out of the stack until I had only maybe 10 cards left. And then I knew every card in the stack. But here's the thing. It's crucial for you to not try to tackle this on your own, as you have said multiple times today. And it's crucial that you get in those study groups at least a few times during your initial training mm -hmm. because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you can read that book, you can, you know, just drink from that fire hose, but the one thing that you missed might be crucial for your check ride. And that one thing that you missed, you didn't know you missed it. But now that you went downstairs and went, wait a minute, where did, where did you get that? Yeah. Oh, that, that's right, right here. Oh man, I missed that. Thanks. And you'll be helping them out too. Well, and it's funny. So we've been like, so obviously in like day one of Indoc, one of the, the, the senior manager guys comes in and he's like, start memorizing your limitations and your memory items now. And we're kind of like, <laughs> well, okay, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, it's going to, it's going to come up later and you're going to, you know, need to know all this information. Um, so we're kind of making a joke out of it, you know, but so we got, we, we, our stack of limitation ones, right? We'd go through it and we pretty much know all the limitations, right? So we've been working on our triggers and flows. Well, I said uh, yesterday, I was like, or yesterday or the day before, I was like, okay, well, let's take a break from triggers and flows and let's go back to limitations again. And holy crap, did we forget some of the stuff that was in yeah. limitations? Yeah, you can't just read so, it once and go, okay, I got it. It takes time yeah. that you got to develop that yeah. comprehensive understanding. So, and that, and that's kind of where we're at. And I have the same technique as you. I just don't do it in systems. I, well, I do it in like for, for all the limitations, like it's all the limitations and I just start going through and I'm like, okay, yes, 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 no, yes, yes, yes. So when I get done, I have two files. Yeah. And do you still have the, the yeses go away. Do you still have the boxed items verbatim limitations or you yeah, still have we've those? Got, we've only got, um, seven of them. That's not bad. Yeah. So, but I mean, it, you know, like, what do you do for a pitch term runaway? Right. Okay. Autopilot disconnect and hold or press and hold. And, uh, uh, uh -huh. now <laughs> 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 well, it's funny. Cause it's the top card right here. Autopilot disconnect, press and hold and pitch stream systems wanted to disconnect or push in. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, I got to tell a quick story. Um, 
there was a time when I, I was already a Czech Airman. I was a newer Czech Airman, but I was a Czech Airman. And I had to go for my recurrent. And the recurrent always includes an oral examination. The Czech Airman that was giving me my oral examination uh, was famous at Sandpiper. He was one of what they call the ABCs. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. The ABCs were the three Czech Airmen that you would just avoid at all, at all costs and read the gouch if you did get them, you know. And I had one of these guys. And so I, oh, okay, I'm not going to volunteer that I'm a Czech Airman because then I don't want him to, like, ask me a million questions to try to, aha, yeah, ha, I got you, right? So I just went in there. I'm like, hello, yes, sir, how you doing, man? And yeah, captain, been on the airplane in the left seat for a couple of years. Yeah, okay, cool. Oh, you ready for your oral? Yeah, okay. So he asked me a question. And, you know, he's asking me these questions. And the orals back then would last at least an hour, question after question. You know, after, they had to ask you at least one or two questions from each of their, you know, hit topics, each system and each whatever, whatever it is for that, that cycle of recurrent. And we were in a limitation section, and he asked me, all right, and in the event of a rapid cabin depressurization, what is the um, uh, minimum safe altitude limitation verbatim? I went, oh, uh, that's 10,000 feet MSL unless, or I said 10,000 feet MSL or uh, a higher constraint like uh, um, Amora or Oroka or whatever, you know, and I, I was saying everything what I thought was verbatim. And he goes, no, try again. Um, okay, rapid depressurization, uh, 10,000 feet, descend to maintain 10,000 feet or any other constraint like Mora or, or Roca or whatever. And he goes, nope. He goes, you're a captain, you should know this. Pull out your book. Pull out my red book. Pull it up, he goes, read it verbatim. I'm like 10,000 feet unless, he goes, aha. You said, or the word is unless it's a boxed item. You need to know this verbatim. It is per the FAA. Look at, read this section. So I went to the front of the limitation that said all boxed items must be memorized by the pilot verbatim per, you know, da, 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 da. and he goes, and I'll go to the front of the book and he goes to the front of the book and he goes, what's that signature right there? This is a POI and the name and the signature. He goes, this is our FAR. If you can't handle it, you need to come prepared for this stuff. If I make myself clear? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, thank you for pointing that out. I will wow. uh, make sure that never happens again. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. And because I already knew that's how you deal with that. That's how you deal with that. You just say, oh, yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for teaching me that. Yes, sir. Oh, I'll look into it. Yes, sir. Just get through it. Just freaking get through it. Yes, sir. Thank you. I'm sorry about that. Don't sit there and make up excuses. Well, are you freaking serious right now? Are you kidding me? No, just get through it. You'll do fine. Cooperate. And graduate. And graduate. Yes, sir. Um, and so it was a bad experience. Um, should I have known that verbatim? Yeah, I, I did. And I did. I just was having one of those brain moments that, you know, and uh, I didn't think it was a big deal. And, I, you know, the definition wasn't lost on me. I understood. But I didn't use the word unless verbatim that was right in the book. I was saying, or so yeah, those, those things happen and I'm sure they still happen occasionally. 
Um, Spirit of the law and letter of the law. Yeah. Measure it with a laser and cut it with an axe. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, Alex, thank you, know, you for sharing the, your, your systems experience with us, and we look forward to hearing more about this here in the future show. Uh, as we're getting ready to kind of wrap up the show, there's some breaking news. I don't know if it's breaking news, but it's some news that came across. We talked uh, recently about a particular incident that happened back in March, I believe it was. Uh, about a 737, was it a 600 or 800 uh, that crashed? I want to say it was an 800, but a non-max 800. A non-max um, uh, 737 that uh, owned by China Eastern that crashed. Uh, we don't normally talk about this kind of stuff on the show. Uh, we more focus on the journey of today's aviator. But in the spirit of our next topic, uh, I wanted to share with some news that has recently surfaced uh, about some of the information coming to us from that investigation. A chilling new report, authorities believe a pilot deliberately steered a passenger jet into a mountain in China. This comes from the investigation into the China Eastern passenger jet that plunged to earth earlier this year, killing 132. Sources telling ABC News the black boxes reveal that one of the pilots may have intentionally crashed that plane. ABC's Gio Benitez covers aviation. Tonight, in a story first reported by the Wall Street Journal, investigators now believe the 737 that slammed into a mountain in China last March was deliberately crashed. Sources confirming to ABC News that officials analyzing the flight data say it clearly points to someone in the cockpit intentionally pushing the plane into a fatal nosedive. All 132 people on board were killed. Experts also cite evidence that the plane's landing gear was never deployed and the flaps were not engaged, both of which would have happened if the pilot or co-pilot was trying to land the plane. Investigators believe the near vertical descent as seen in this video would have required intentional force. If you see a dive like this, that means somebody is forcing that airplane over. That's what indicates that this was not an accident. According to officials, investigators also looked into the personal life and background of one of the pilots and believe he may have been struggling through certain issues that remain undisclosed right before the crash. The new details, a chilling reminder of the German wing's horror in 2015, the co-pilot locking the other pilot out of the cockpit and bringing down the Airbus A320 in the French Alps, killing 150 people. That co-pilot had been previously treated for suicidal tendency. The most chilling aspect of this, even just with the initial speculation that it might have been a pilot who wanted to kill himself and take everybody else with him, is that it has happened before. Now, we've got to be much more aggressive now in the international community in finding out how we can make sure it never, ever happens again. And David, China has not publicly said what it believes caused this crash. And tonight, Boeing does not believe there is any mechanical problem with its 737 jets in service around the world. David. Gio Benitez tonight. Gio, thank you. And information that, again, from ABC Nightly News. I'll put a link in the show notes for those that would like to uh, watch that again or listen to it again. Um, this hasn't happened before. When we first heard about this accident, um, we here on the show did briefly mention the fact that any aircraft in that type of vertical dive it's extremely difficult to believe that a malfunction of any of the flight controls could contribute to something so aggressive. 
Um, and there are system overrides that any pilot that is at the controls could make an attempt to to fix this. Um, and from what we gathered, we speculated at the time that this could be a repeat of the German wings incident as the news article mentioned as well. Um, this is extremely disturbing to us uh, the, here in the aviation community that anyone at the controls of an aircraft would intentionally do this. Now, we saw an event happen recently in GA where a YouTuber daredevil uh, took an airplane up and indicated that he lost an engine and ditched with his parachute. The interesting part of that story, and we're not going to dive too much into that, but he had a fire extinguisher in his pant leg. Now, I've never known a pilot to carry around a fire extinguisher in their pant leg and a parachute at that. Wait, you don't do that when you go no, fly? No, especially on the Airbus, no. And so, <laughs> so it, was, it was already from the, from the get-go when that video first appeared. Uh, we as aviators spe speculated that it was an intentional act. We hope that it wasn't an intentional act and just, you know, bad choice. He didn't even try to put it down. He just crashed the airplane and then he landed next to it. You know, he had his fire extinguisher just in case. Um, well, the FAA revoked that individual's certificate because they found after an investigation that he indeed intentionally, despite what he says under oath, that he intentionally did it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's the there's the incident that happened recently, uh, just weeks after that one, with the Red Bull team that took the two aircraft over the desert, and they were attempting to do the swap from one aircraft to another. Most of us in aviation know the story. I'm not going to bore everybody with the details again. But um, the person in charge of that stunt uh, requested an exemption from the FAA, which was denied. and they did it anyway. And a lot of podcasts uh, and aviation podcasts have talked about this. And they said, well, you know, they crashed an airplane because one of the pilots couldn't swap it safely into the other one. And they ended up aborting the, the procedure and that airplane crashed out in the desert. No one was hurt. No one was killed. Um, just the airplane was a total loss. Well, even if they would have pulled it off, I think the FAA still would have revoked both of their certificates as they have. Now, the FAA went a step further and re also revoked their parachute rigging certificates. Hmm. Now, I didn't hear that yeah, one. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame them. Um, can I do this? No, you can't. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Well, whether it was successful or not, I think the FAA would have had some action and a, a revocation of their certificate. But they did it in like days. Like within 24 hours of them failing to do the stunt, the FAA, usually the FAA drags their feet, you know, has to investigate 30 days, 90 days, a year. Uh, man, they were on it. And I think it's I, them thumbing their nose at the FAA that they just, they've had enough. And it goes to both the question, which is, is really what I want to ask, is how do we look at mental wellness of a pilot what steps are there in place today to ensure the mental health of any certified aviator out there and if you 
as a pilot working for a company or have a friend that's up there and you see somebody displaying actions or decision making that is not quite right, what can you do about it? Well, I know that the companies put in place and even the unions put in place stuff for for mental health and you know, obviously it's becoming more and more of a hot button uh, item with the world, really. I mean, uh, look at, um, what's the gymnast name that decided to sit out in uh, uh, oh, uh, this last yes. Olympics? Yeah. Simone Biles. Simone, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, with her doing that, and then obviously, you know, obviously it's becoming more and more of a thing that, like, we're not taking mental health as seriously as we need to. And, you know, obviously with the, the school shooting in Texas that just happened and all that stuff, it, 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 it boils down to like mental stability with all these people. Right. And, and now obviously we've had the German wings guy, right. And, and he had been, uh, had suicidal ideations mm-hmm. and wanted to kill himself and was treated for it. Now you get this guy in China who, you know, the, the evidence shows, and I thought the same thing at first. I was like, oh, here we go. It's another German wings incident. But I was I was a little bit more hopeful because I was like, you know what? Maybe it was some catastrophic failure, right? Like it is China after all. And I'm not trying to say that the Chinese cut corners or anything like that. But like their standards are not to the ICAO and to the FAA standards when it comes to aviation and maintenance practices and stuff like that. So I was hopeful in that sense that it wasn't a, a, a pilot trying to, to do another German wings, that maybe it was a catastrophic failure, mm. but clearly it's not like, you know, the, the evidence is showing in the black boxes that, that it, it was uh, deliberate. Yeah. And it's extremely and, inf- uh, unfortunate. And there are tools, as you mentioned, uh, there available to all of us. You don't have to fly for an airline or a big company to take advantage of these tools. We've spoken with um, chairmen of the WINGS program, and we've spoken with HIMS uh, leaders and people that have been through the HIMS program here on the show. We've interviewed some, some really amazing aviators that have gone through really a lot to keep their certificate, to keep flying, uh, to earn it back in some cases after you know drug and alcohol issues and there are so many disqualifiers out there for pilots i mean i can't i was speaking today while i was at the gym with my friend with dominic we were talking about some like sleep aids that you know he can take to to kind of because he's a a, a graveyard shift driver uh semi-truck driver essential worker and so sometimes during the day he can't get to sleep but he needs to so we were talking about sleep aids and things, and I said, well, I can't take anything like that. It has to be natural, like melatonin or something, because, you know, chamomile tea, valerian root tea, things like that. Because if I take any kind of sleep aid, that I would lose my medical. I would lose my FAA medical. Um, same thing with Benadryl. I mean, I can't, if I have allergies, if I take any kind of antihistamine, uh, again, that, that is a, a banned drug for first-class medicals. Um, So I have to be careful about what I take. Well, with that, there's also this stigma of mental health and pilots. And if you're struggling, you have, you know, we we do a good job compartmentalizing as aviators. You know, when we're at work, we're at work. And when we're at home, we're at home. And we try not to mix the two because the last thing you want to do is 
think about your kids and your wife and your family or your parents or your dog while you're trying to do V1 rotate calls. I mean, it's just not a good idea. So we're pretty good at compartmentalizing, but we're also very good at ignoring the fact that we're human and sometimes we need help. And there are so many organizations, uh, like we mentioned, the HIMSS program, the WINGS program, EAP, emergency or employee assistance programs. Uh, almost every employer that I know of has a program. Uh, most people have medical insurance. And if you have medical insurance, guess what? You have the dial a nurse. And the minute you tell them, hey, I'm having a hard time, I'm struggling, guess what? You're going to see someone uh, here in, in the union. Our union has uh, dedicated departments for the health, stress management, mental health for our aviators. And they're there to help us, number one, for our safety and our health. But they're also there to do so in a manner that would help protect our certificates to the best that they can. So usually I say, if you're having a hard time or you, or you flew with somebody that you think they're having a hard time, uh, or you know someone, a friend that is having a hard time, and they shouldn't be behind the controls of an aircraft at that particular moment, there are tools. Obviously, always go and try to talk to your friend, your pilot, coworker, whatever, um, with open mind and try to say, hey, I want to help. Um, but if that doesn't work and you're still fear for their safety and the safety of others, there are so many ways, so many avenues that you can, you can exercise to help them out and help the safety of everyone else. These incidences that we were just talking about should never happen in this industry. There needs to be better barriers for this to prevent this from happening. But as I asked at the beginning of this segment, what checks and balances are there? There really aren't. There's, there's not. Like when you go for your medical, like I know on the, like what they have to check, they, they check your mental health, but it's not a mental health check. It's, it's just a, hey, does this guy seem normal when he's in my office? And I mean, let's face it, we all can put on an act for the hour that we're in the doctor's office so that he can sign off on our medical. And, you know, we're, we're doing the, you yeah. know, EFPZ, you know, right. like, I mean, like it, it you know, to, to have somebody who's struggling and they go get renew their medical, like there's not a check for that. It's just, hey, was he normal when he was in here? Because you know that they're going to go back and talk to that doctor. Right. And how many people do you know that are like, uh, uh, they're like the most charming individuals possible, especially pilots, right? Hey, how you doing? Hey, uh, check out that honey on the end of the bar. Oh, I'm going to go talk to them. Yeah. But then behind closed doors, they're a wreck. Yeah. And it's no no different. And you're right. There, there isn't really checks and balances to, to, to prevent it or, or when people go in and they have their issues, right? The, the only thing that there is, is these programs that are in place and, Let's face it, we're all pilots at the end of the day, so 95% of us are type A personalities. And what does a type A person not want to do? Ask for help. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, you're right. It may be a stigma. It may, like you were saying, it could, you know, harm their medical. It could harm their career. And at the end of the day, the worst thing you can tell a pilot is he can no longer be a pilot. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't, they don't want to put that risk on themselves to have it be pulled away from them because they were fearful, you know, about going. Yeah. 
but the the real the real fear is not asking for help because you do have programs in place like the hymns program the wings program the union stuff the company stuff right mm-hmm. like that will not saying a hundred percent guarantee that you won't have any you know bad stuff come against you but that's the reason why those programs are there is so that in case something happens right they can say no 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 he volunteered to go to the hymns program right. he volunteered for this so yes you want to take this action against him but you you, you can't right because he chose to do it himself and, or or she yeah and those programs really don't work unless you are the one as the person that has the issue, you are the one that voluntarily goes and says, okay, now it's time because you can go in and out of those programs. I mean, how many of us have heard of, of people going into say hymns program multiple times? I mean, mm-hmm. I know, I know of a guy who went in there three times for the same oh, drug wow. and alcohol uh, program three times over their career. And the third time, thank God stuck and he could continue on until the day he retired. Um, and you think to yourself, yeah. you know, you hear the rumors. Oh, I, I know a pilot that did that too. He he basically got told that he was not going to take the airplane out and he needed to go use the HIMS program. You know, like he was he was strongly urged to volunteer to go into the HIMS program. Right. Right. And I mean, the it worked, right? Mm-hmm. But he still had his issues, and you know, he he ended up uh, relapsing and and. He ended up, uh, he, I think he's, uh, he actually just hit his 20 years sober this year. So, you know, like, yeah, I know that it can work, but that's the thing is you have to want to go there. You have to be the one to go there. Right. And the HIMSS program is the Human Intervention Motivational Study Program. It's for aviators, not just airline pilots, but, but aviators. Um, you can have that phone number ready. Keep it in your keep it in your cell phone. I I mean, I've have a few hotline numbers that I've never used. I probably hopefully never will, but they're in my phone because I know that there might be a day where I need to call the hazmat safety hotline because we just get it off the runway and we're at a small airport and I'm the one who has going to have to make that call. So it's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the airport police phone number on speed dial on my phone as a contact for Los Angeles because it's my base and I might not have time to coordinate with operations. I might see something and be involved in something and the best course of action is to call the airport police directory. That phone number is programmed in my phone. I hope to never have to use it, but it's there. And the HIMSS program has phone numbers as well, as does EAP and WINGS and all these other programs. Every uh, airline carrier out there has their own type of program in place. Now the the HIMS program, you can just go to himsprogram.com and check it out. They have a phone number there. I won't broadcast it here on air. I'll have a link in the show notes. Um, and the EAP program, you just contact your employer, your chief pilot, whoever, your manager, um, and they will get that information to you. You can call and say, it's for a friend. I want to give this phone number out to someone. Um, they give us a bunch of cards every time we're in the schoolhouse for the WINGS program. Um, I have a stack of those in my bag. Again, I hope to never need to hand one out or use one. But there might come a day where I might be flying with someone and they show up in the morning and I know for a fact that they maybe went overboard with their alcohol. And I might say, hey, uh, you might want to call in sick. You don't look too good. Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. Either you call in sick or I'll call you in sick. I mean, because it's my license too. 
if I didn't, if mm-hmm. I don't say anything because it's part of the bro club, you know, or the pilot club or whatever you want to club you want to call it, and I'm not going to rat this guy out to borrow a term from my ancestors. Um, I don't want to be a rat, right? But what's going to happen at the hearing when they go, well, so you confronted him. He said, no, you flew anyway, and you had an incident, and four people lost their lives. Guess who's going to federal prison? You are you. too, as an accessory. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely important to be on the lookout and have the resources available to you, right, in the event that you might need it. Hopefully you'll never have to run a dual engine failure checklist, but you should know how to do it by memory, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that, that's all I wanted to say about that. I appreciate all of you listening and taking the time to consider having these resources available to you as an airline pilot or as a pilot out there in general, even in GA. Um, you never know. Mm-hmm. You could save a life. 100%. So, Alex, what's next for you? What's coming up here in your next uh, couple of weeks here of training? Uh, so Monday starts CPTs, uh, and that's eight lessons. Um, after CPTs, it's my procedure validation, then my uh, knowledge validation. Uh, that's a 150-question test, mm-hmm. non-open book. Uh, and then I roll into... A few days off, but in that few days off, I do, uh, I think, one or two observation flights mm-hmm. uh, and then go into the sims. Yeah. And it's the same, like I said, it, like I said earlier, is the same stuff that we're doing in CPTs that we're doing in the sims. Just now we actually get to, to fly it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then uh, um, after the sims, it's my maneuvers validation, then my uh, LOE. Mm-hmm. And then I come home yeah, L- and wait for IOE. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, you know, maneuvers validation, it's basically a sim ride. Uh, you, they say, you know, a V1 cut. Yeah. They won't tell you it's coming. They'll say, hey, uh, you're at uh, half mile visibility and 200 foot over, whatever, 500 foot over. You know what's happening, right? So you're, you're going to take off yeah. and get an uh, engine failure at V1 or right after V1 and and you take off, you got to, you know, come to back, do the procedure, declare an emergency, come back, do everything like you would in the real airplane, right? Uh, the LOE, line operating experience or line operations experience, that's where the sim, you're in the sim and it's treated just like a regular flight. They're going to give you a flight release. You have to go in there, you and the, in your case, the captain would have to sit there, do the pre-flight, have the discussion, do everything like it's a real flight. And somewhere between uh, this flight who knows where it's going to be, JFK to Boston or something short. Um, who knows what they'll do for you. But they'll have a ding. Oh, my aircraft, your aircraft. Uh, read the whatever, ECAM or whatever you guys call it. What's your uh, engine crew alerting? Uh, it's the ICAS. ICAS, yeah. So yeah. electronic crew alerting system. Yeah, something like that. Uh, electronic indication crew alerting. Yeah, system. something like that. And I'm gonna have to make me dig this ah. out. <laughs> I know Rob and I always have problems with the ecam. Like, uh, electronic centralized I, I know alerting does, system. Okay? I don't know. So uh, I, I know what it does. <laughs> it goes ding. <laughs> so yeah. and then you'll have to it's run through. That flashes at me. You'll have to run through the emergency procedure or the non-normal procedure, uh, and. 
that's the same thing. They don't want to see that you've memorized it. They want, they're going to throw something random at you and it's nine out of 10. It's like, okay, let's continue. Uh, and sometimes you have to divert. And so you have to make, you have to talk, you have to use that CRM or that, uh, uh, TEM models, you know, the, the, some podcasts call it the Funyun model, you know, the big holes, that everything goes through all the airs. <laughs> hey, it is no longer the Swiss cheese model. We learned that oh. this week. Oh no. It is now a target with green, yellow, and red. If you're going into recurrent, they'll probably teach that's you the, the new the TEM, TEM threat and error management. That's yeah. the, yeah. Are you in the yeah. green? Are you in the yellow? Are you, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they they went away from that Swiss cheese model, which I like the Swiss cheese model so yeah. much better. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, errors always they got to get trapped. They got to get trapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always keep changing it every year. It's something new. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, enjoy enjoy what you're you're going to be uh, going through, and we look forward to your next update. Yeah, no, I can't wait to to be able to get back on, and you know, like like, like I told you the other day in the text message like your podcast has really been like a big help to me so for 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 me to to pay it forward and give to the next aviator you know give to the next generation like you're giving to mine i'm not calling you old by the way just you know go with it you're you're uh you're a seasoned pilot (laughs) so uh but no it, it you know obviously that's what happens in aviation right there's a, you can't do this alone, right? No. And it's there's no competition in this. Like, you know, oh, I got a 93 on my ATP written. Oh, I got a 94. Good for you. Like, you you pass. 70 to right? pass. Like, 65 to pass. Uh, 67. Okay, good job. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, you know, we, we always make the joke at flight school when I was back teaching that, like, someone would come in with, like, a, oh, I got an 89 on my private pilot written. All the instructors are like, you tried, you know, 19% too much. Yeah, you studied too much. (laughs) Yeah, like, yeah. obviously they, you know, we don't don't obviously want to have a a 70% pilot going through. But, I mean, that's the standard. You know, the FAA sets these for a reason so that you can go through and be like, okay, look, I I may have gotten a 70. I may have barely squeaked through my, my check ride. But guess what? I did everything by the book. Yeah. You know, what do they call a guy who graduates last in med school? Doctor. Doctor, yep. right? Like, <laughs> graduation is graduation. That's it. The standard has been that's achieved. Exactly. Yeah. It. So, you know, like, not, I'm not saying don't study, but I'm saying yeah, no. <laughs> don't get all stressed out over it if you don't get 100% and not be the first one done. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely realized that when we took our um, in doc test and, you know, it was like, a hundred questions or 75 questions or something like that. And like, here I am like, you know, almost an hour into it and I'm almost done. Right. And yet like, I'm one of the last ones in the class. Like there's like five of us left and I'm sitting there and I'm like, normally when I go through tests, I'm like, click, 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 cool. 90. Right. Yeah. But I, for whatever reason, like I'm not stressing it because it, I'm, 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 I'm taking my time because I don't want to, to screw up. Right. I don't want to do something that I know it's going to be the wrong way. Yeah. Well, it's important to you. So, yeah. You know. Well, thank so, you, Alex, for joining us today and giving us all the intel on your real life live training cycle. Uh, and be sure to subscribe and follow the Squawk Eye Dent podcast 
wherever platform you're listening on right now, hit that subscribe button. It does make a huge difference. Recently, one of our listeners and a good friend sent me a link to an article that the Squawk Ident podcast was found to be the 13th out of the top 50 aviation podcasts to listen to in 2020. And my heart just grew three sizes. The fact that I made this list um, was wonderful. I actually put that on the uh, website there. <laughs> uh, uh, voted you know, the top 50, uh, in one of the top 50 uh, uh, aviation podcasts to listen to. And it's just such uh, an honor to do this. Uh, I wish I could do it more often and sit here and, and just my love of this career field and and the fact that we can have these discussions and hopefully help out a young aviator like yourself and the next generation to come um so thank you uh we also love receiving receiving we also love receiving listener feedback you can also send us emails from the website that's uh, found at aviatortony.com that's uh, alpha victor the number eight romeo tango oscar number yankee.com there you can find audio archives from past shows photos from the flight line, a guest book photo tab where you can see some pictures from our featured guests from the past shows. Uh, also, we have a pilot shop there. Uh, a little, tiny little portion of each sale goes towards uh, credit for this podcast uh, on that website. So you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and things like that. You can also contribute financially to our program, which is very helpful to us. Helps pay for the production of this show right there on the homepage. Just scroll down and you can donate whatever you want, whatever you can, if you find the desire to do so. Uh, right there, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram users, you guys can find us at Squawk Ident Podcast or Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident. And again, I want to give one final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. Bye, y'all.
Watson, you land. I can't tell. You can tell me I'm a doctor. No, I mean, I'm just not sure. It's an entirely different kind of flying. 